Although you might not know this, age-related disease and health decline can start in our 60s, our 50s, our 40s, even our 30s. What you don't know can harm you. But with the right knowledge about your health and your body, these age-related issues can be prevented or even reversed. You'll get that knowledge today on Healthy Aging with Dr. Denise Bogard. Dr. Bogard and her guests will answer your questions about your health. We want you to age gracefully. Now here is Dr. Denise Bogard. Good morning. This morning we're going to talk about advanced cardiovascular health. We're going to talk about coronary artery disease to start with. You know, it is the number one killer, the number one cause of death in males of all ages and in females after menopause. It has been on the rise since the 1950s. As we attempt to identify and modify the various risk factors, our goal is to decrease the incidence of myocardial infarctions, cardiac failure, and ultimately death. When you go to your primary care physician or your cardiologist and evaluate your cholesterol profile frequently, the total cholesterol, the LDL, the HDL, and triglycerides are measured. When I was in medical school, which was about 25 years ago, I was taught that there were five risk factors for coronary artery disease. The first one was elevated cholesterol, specifically low LDL, which is the bad cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, and smoking. Sadly, this is only about 10% of the picture. It's like the tip of the iceberg. There are actually about 200 risk factors for cardiac disease. In my healthy aging practice, we look at advanced lipid testing and measure other risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Specifically, I will break down further my testing procedure. The first test we look at is the total cholesterol. Total cholesterol represents the total amount of cholesterol circulating in your blood at the time of the test. It is the summation of your bad cholesterol which is your LDL, your good cholesterol, which is your HDL, and your ugly cholesterol, which is your triglycerides, divided by five. What causes your total cholesterol to go up? The total cholesterol number goes up when the bad cholesterol or the good cholesterol goes up. The most common cause for elevation in total cholesterol is the combination of sugar, starch, excessive alcohol, 
and saturated fat, the bad fat, in the diet, which increases the bad cholesterol. LDL is a lousy cholesterol. It makes a mess inside the artery by leaving its trash to pile up and form plaque. A high LDL cholesterol increases your chances of developing heart disease and stroke. The optimal level for LDL is less than 100, but your goal should be less than 70 milligrams per deciliter to prevent and reverse heart disease. HDL is the healthy cholesterol. Think of LDL as the garbage and HDL as the garbage cans. The more garbage cans there are, the better, because there will be more HDL cleaning the arteries. Sugar and starch lower your HDL, and diets low in sugar, starch, trans fat, diets low in sugar, starch, and trans fat, increased exercise, and niacin all increase your HDL. Now triglycerides change more quickly. They change from meal to meal. If you eat rice, bread, pasta, fruits, chips, cookies, or alcohol the night before, your triglycerides will increase to three to 400 the next day. There is an inverse relationship between triglycerides and HDL, the good cholesterol. The higher the triglycerides, the lower the good cholesterol. Also, every time the triglycerides go up, the bad cholesterol particles tend to be smaller in size, that is the LDL. So high levels of small LDL are associated with increasing plaque formation in the arteries. So let's look a little further at the LDL, which is the lousy cholesterol. LDL can be divided further into small LDL and large LDL particles. The small, dense LDL particles will easily pass through the cells of the wall because their small size increases the chances of forming plaque. Again, sugar, starch, and excessive alcohol tend to make the bad cholesterol smaller in size. In addition to the LDL, HDL, and triglycerides, a couple other specialty lipoproteins are also measured. So these are separate. One is called the apolipoprotein B. What this is, is it's a protein cap that each LDL wears. It's like a little key that opens the door of the cells and allows the bad cholesterol to come in and form a plaque in your artery. 
again, the combination of sugar, starch, and excessive alcohol increases your ApoB. We've got another specialty lipoprotein that we measure, and this is called the LP little a. The way that the LP little a was actually discovered was that people with normal cholesterols come in and they have a heart attack, and they knew that there was something else presenting, and it turns out it's uh, this is when they discovered the LP little a. What it's like is a little corkscrew that's attached to the LDL. This is an inherited trait, and it can increase your risk of a heart attack as much as 70%. We also measure the LP little a in my practice, and I do things to show you how to decrease that. So everyone inherits many characteristics from their mother and father. Some characteristics are beneficial, but others can be harmful. In the case of coronary artery disease, specific traits have been identified that increase the risk of developing heart disease. The most common gene affecting cholesterol levels is called the apolipoprotein E, or we call it the ApoE. This is a trait that determines how your body processes cholesterol and how it responds to dietary cholesterol. Dietary fat, alcohol, exercise, and medications. It has three variations, E2, E3, and E4. Individuals inherit one of these forms from each of their parents, and thus they have two copies. For example, if you inherit E3 from both parents, you have a combination called E3 slash E3. If you inherit an E2 from one parent and an E3 from the other, your combination is E2 slash E3. Other combinations are E2 slash 2, E2 slash 4, E3 slash 4, and E4 slash 4. E3 is the most common, which is about 60% of the population, and it's considered the normal type. E2 and E4 are the results of genetic mutation, thus they're an abnormal gene. It's valuable to know which E3, ApoE3 genotype you have, because if your genes are a combination of E4, you are at significantly higher risk of having heart disease. However, if this E4 group avoids sugar, starch, and excessive alcohol, and takes cholesterol-lowering medications when they're needed, you can lower the risk of heart disease. If you test an E4, it is important that you stick to a low-fat diet 
and avoid alcohol as much as possible to lessen your risk of heart disease. So in summary, there are three important lipoprotein markers. First of all, there's the LDL particle size. And I will emphasize that people with a lot of small LDL have a threefold risk of developing heart disease. Remember, diets high in sugar, starch, and excessive alcohol make the cholesterol lowering medications smaller in size. The second risk is the LP little a. This is an inherited factor that increases the risk of heart attack by as much as 70%. It is not affected by diet and exercise. Only niacin and N-acetylcysteine are proven to lower its concentration. And thirdly, we look at the APOE again. If you have the 4-4 or the 3-4, you are certainly at higher risk for developing heart disease and possibly Alzheimer's. Avoiding sugar starch, saturated fats, abstinence from alcohol, and taking cholesterol-lowering medication when needed can decrease your risk. Many years ago, atherosclerosis was thought to be mainly an excessive deposit of cholesterol in the arteries. As a result, Cholesterol became the focus of all heart disease intervention strategies. Now it's becoming clearer that atherosclerosis is an inflammatory process, and inflammation plays a big role in its progression. So in my practice, we measure various inflammatory markers, and what those do is it shows whether there's generalized inflammation in the body, and then I've got some markers specific (coughs) to inflammation of the coronary arteries. So I measure the C-reactive protein, and this indicates inflammation anywhere else in the body. The LPPLA2 specifically points to inflammation in the coronary arteries. Therefore, it is a predictor of heart attack, a predictor of heart attack and stroke. It circulates in the bloodstream and likes to hang out with the bad cholesterol. Its presence in the plaque invites more LDL particles to come along and build up. It also triggers a process known as oxidation, which promotes inflammatory inflammation within the artery. An elevated LP PLA2 value indicates that the plaque is active. Think of this as a volcano. 
and you've got volcanoes that are sedentary and don't erupt, and this would be a, um, a plaque that's not active. And then as a volcano starts to erupt, everything inside basically starts to spread out. This is when the LP PLA goes up, and it indicates that there's some active inflammation and plaque starting to erupt. A diet rich in sugar, starch, excessive alcohol, and saturated fat will increase your LP PLA too. A sudden increase in your LP PLA too. LPPLA2 tells you that your diet in the past six months has been high in sugar, starch, and saturated fats. You have increased inflammation in your arterial walls. It signifies that somewhere there is a plaque ready to rupture and cause a heart attack or a stroke. We're approaching the holiday season and what's interesting is there are there is actually about a 40% increase in heart attacks and strokes from December 16th to January 15th. So you can see that during that time we consume more sugar, starch, and saturated fats and excessive alcohol. And all of these increase your risk of developing plaque and rupturing plaque. It's really an inflammatory process. In another week, I will actually cover very, very thoroughly inflammation, its effect on the body and how I approach inflammation and try to eradicate inflammation in your body. I try to figure out the source of it and then to look at it further. I tell people that 80% of your immune system is in your GI tract. So if you don't have a healthy GI tract, you don't have a healthy immune system. Therefore, I work on various things to heal your GI tract so that you have a healthy GI tract and can fight off any uh, insults to your body that come along. Interestingly, I I will cover a little bit later, but um, if you're bottle-fed as a baby, which many of us are, your chances of developing leaky gut syndrome are very high. It's that when you establish that normal bacteria in the colostrum, which is so beneficial in the early life that starts to build your healthy immune system and your healthy GI tract. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. 
and Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the CDIP Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Healthy Aging with Dr. Denise Bogard. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to bogardhealth at gmail.com. And now, back to Healthy Aging. Good morning. I'm Dr. Bogard, and this morning I'm talking about advanced cardiovascular health. Again, I reiterated that um, coronary artery disease is the number one killer in all males and uh, in females after menopause. And I broke down the various lipoproteins. When you get your total cholesterol, your LDL, your HDL, and your triglycerides, you're only seeing about 10% of the picture. So in my practice, we do a lot of other uh, evaluation of other factors, and those are specifically the factors that I've been talking about. We broke down all the lipoproteins and some genetic risks, and then we talked about inflammation. Next, we're going to talk about cardiac strain and what it does. We have some chemicals that we can measure that show if there's increase how the heart is functioning. The proBNP is a protein produced mainly by the lower chambers of the heart and it indicates how well the heart is functioning. It is the heart that has to work harder than usual and produces more BNP. Therefore, a high level of pro-BNP is a warning sign that the heart is continuously being strained. Many health conditions put stress on the heart by either directly damaging it or making it work too hard. If this goes on and the strain on the heart is not relieved, it can result in heart failure. Heart failure is a condition in which the heart fails to pump effectively throughout the body. When this happens, it causes fluid to be retained in the body. First, the fluid backs up in the lungs 
and then it builds up in the feet, ankles, and legs, a condition called edema. This state of congestion makes a person more tired than usual and short of breath most of the time. If left untreated, heart failure can cause serious disability and even death. There are numerous causes of heart failure, but the two most common causes are coronary artery disease and hypertension, that is high blood pressure. Other causes are various heart valve defects, anemia, cardiomyopathy, that is a damage to the heart, and this can be from drugs, alcohol, or a viral infection, diabetes, thyroid disease, and this can be either high or low, cancer treatment, pulmonary hypertension, renal failure, atrial fibrillation, and sleep apnea. I'm going to talk a little bit more about sleep apnea because this is something that really is underdiagnosed in our country. Sleep apnea is a disorder where your breathing stops or gets very shallow and your lungs are not getting enough oxygen or air. This can happen repeatedly during the entire duration of sleep, sometimes hundreds of times during the night and often lasting from 30 seconds to more than a minute. Obstructive sleep apnea, which is the most common type of sleep apnea, results in numerous interruptions to breathing caused by a blockage in the airway or windpipe. It may be blocked by the tongue, the tonsils, the uvula, which is that little piece of flesh that hangs down in the back of the throat as they collapse backwards during sleep and throat muscles become relaxed. It may also be blocked by a large amount of fatty tissue in the throat, especially in people who are overweight or obese. When you try to breathe through a narrowed airway, you will produce loud snoring caused by the vibration of the relaxed throat. This can be annoying, especially if you share a bed with someone that snores. Snoring is an indication that you could have obstructive sleep apnea. It is associated with frequent wake-ups during the night from sleep. Most of the time, you won't even remember waking up, but it disturbs your sleep and it results in a poor quality of rest. That is why people with obstructive sleep apnea experience excessive tiredness and sleepiness during the day. If sleep apnea is left untreated, it could lead to a lot of serious health problems. When you stop breathing during sleep, your oxygen drops. 
The brain senses this is a danger because it cannot survive without oxygen. It thinks that there is not enough blood flowing to its territory to supply the needed oxygen. So it tells the body to release an adrenaline-like substance in the bloodstream that will increase the blood pressure to compensate and return the normal blood flow to the brain. If sleep apnea becomes persistent, persistent, the high blood pressure becomes sustained and may not return to a normal level. This change in high blood pressure may increase the risk of heart failure. When the blood pressure is high, the heart has to work harder and it causes damage to the muscles. Heartbeats become uncoordinated with rhythm problems. The most common is atrial fibrillation. Finally, high blood pressure can directly damage the lining of the arteries. As a result, the artery becomes prone to fatty buildup and to develop coronary artery disease. So you can see that sleep apnea increases your risk of developing high blood pressure. There's two circulatory systems in our body, the generalized one that flows to all the body, and then the lung circulatory system. What sleep apnea does is it elevates both systems. So you have systemic hypertension and something called pulmonary hypertension, where you develop high blood pressure within your lungs. Sleep apnea may be linked to several, several other conditions such as impotence, obesity, drowsiness, fatigue, diabetes, headache, pulmonary hypertension, that is lung hypertension, dementia, and memory loss. As I mentioned, sleep apnea is more common than we previously thought. According to the NIH, it affects more than 12 million Americans. The most common risk factors including include male gender and being overweight. The vast majority remain undiagnosed and therefore untreated, despite the fact that this serious condition has dangerous consequences. Sleep apnea can be treated. The key is to recognize its presence early by it identifying warning signs and symptoms as they appear. In my practice, I have a very simple home sleep study that you can take home, and it's like a little Fitbit wrist, and it has a pulse ox and monitors your oxygen saturation as well as a little device that sits on your chest and, and it shows your position throughout the day or throughout your sleep period. And it will show me if you've got a certain degree of sleep apnea and are um, a candidate for some positive pressure during the night. <clears throat> 
So elevated blood sugars are also a cause of increase in heart disease. I'm going to devote a whole session to diabetes because I feel like it is such an important important aspect and as I mentioned in the first session diabetes is on the increase in our whole generalized population especially our young population and it is a reversible disease so we'll talk about that further. Disorders of the thyroid also contribute to heart disease. Again I'm going to devote another whole session to this because it's one of the most underdiagnosed disorders and um, both hyper and hypothyroidism can increase your risk of heart disease. Low levels of vitamin D put you at high risk for fractures, osteoporosis, bone loss, and coronary artery disease. Several studies have shown that vitamin D deficiency increases the risk of heart disease and it is linked to other well-known heart disease risk factors such as high blood pressure, obesity, and diabetes. It also decreases your immunity and increases the risk of cancer. Your vitamin D level should be checked regularly. If the level is low, it should be supplemented. I do have a little different way of looking at it, and my levels to optimize the vitamin D are actually closer to 70 to 90 deciliters per decigrams per milliliter, um, whereas the normal labs accept a level of about 30. That is actually vitamin vitamin D deficient to us. Uric acid is a substance produced by the breakdown of proteins in the food we eat. Over time, too much uric acid in the blood can lead to the formation of needle-like crystals in the joints. These crystals trigger a condition more commonly known as gout. It's a form of arthritis characterized by sudden onset of severe swelling and tenderness in your joints. Usually it's in the big toe. Uric acid levels have been used to diagnose gouty arthritis. Now it's considered a potential risk for heart disease. Researchers have found that most people with heart disease, including those who have died from it, have high levels of uric acid. In fact, the study showed that even these uric acid levels, even even those uric acid levels that are not high enough to cause gout can lead to heart disease. High uric acid levels are also found in other conditions such as hypertension, hyperlipidemia, obesity, and insulin resistance. And again, all of these are risk factors for heart disease. Homocysteine is an amino acid manufactured by the body and found in the blood. 
Homocysteine serves as a messenger and it can readily accumulate in the body. Too much homocysteine alters the insides of arteries and sets the stage for arterial disease. Having an elevated homocysteine increases the risk of coronary artery disease, heart failure, strokes, peripheral artery disease, vascular dementia, insulin resistance, and kidney disease. Elevated homocysteine decreases the effectiveness of certain heart medicines, including statins, nitroglycerin, ACE inhibitors, angiotensin receptor blockings, blockers, and calcium channel blockers. A number of factors contribute to the buildup of homocysteine such as a deficiency of folate, vitamin B6, vitamin B12, and choline, gastric atrophy and malabsorption, certain medications, caffeine, alcohol, more than one drink per day, kidney disease, hypothyroidism, liver disease, menopause, <clears throat> malignancies, old age due to loss of kidney function, and certain genetic conditions. In my practice, we measure a couple genetic mutations. Um, they're called the MTHFR genotype. And if you have Either one of these genetic mutations, there's two genes that we look at. It's the MTHFR677 and the 1298. This shows your ability genetically to be able to methylate. And I explain this a little further in my practice, but what happens if you've got one of those genetic mutations, it increases your risk of chronic disorders, such as neurological disorders, cardiovascular disorders, various mental dysfunctions, such as depression, anxiety, ADD, bipolar, addictive behaviors, schizophrenia. It increases your risk of immune function, um, infertility, diabetes, increased sensitivity of various chemicals, cancer, thyroid, and other chronic conditions. Therefore, I do test your MTHFR, and if you do have that mutation, there are various things that you can do to give yourself methylation support. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. 
Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. are listening to Healthy Aging with Dr. Denise Bogard. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to bogardhealth at gmail.com. And now, back to Healthy Aging. Good morning. In our last segment, we're going to talk about high blood pressure, hypertension. In the past two segments, we talked about the many risk factors contributing to heart disease. Hypertension is one of the risks, and I'm going to break it down further. I honestly could spend at least an hour talking about hypertension itself, Um, but we'll briefly cover it. Blood pressure readings are expressed as two numbers with a slash between them, such as 120 over 80, 100 over 70, 157 over 110, and so on. These two numbers are required because the blood pressure is not steady. Like the pressure in your kitchen pipes when you turn on the water in in the sink Instead, it constantly increases and it decreases as the heart beats and relaxes. When the heart beats, the blood pressure goes up and it rests between beats, so the blood pressure drops. The blood pressure reading at the moment the heart is beating is called the systolic blood pressure. This is the larger number. The pressure reading at the moment the heart is relaxing is called the diastolic blood pressure. So this is a smaller number. And the difference between the systolic and the diastolic blood pressure is called the pulse pressure. Blood pressure is created by the force, the heart's pumping force, and the resistance to blood flow offered by the arteries. Here's a list 
of items that push the resistance, including caffeine. What's interesting is about 60% of the population has a genetic mutation that slows the metabolism of caffeine in the liver, leading to an increased risk of high blood pressure. Low levels of vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E, elevated levels of iron, low levels of magnesium, low levels of CoQ10, low levels of lycopene, smoking, high levels of stress, elevated levels of uric acid, high levels of homocysteine, consumption of excessive trans fats, and obesity. <clears throat> Blood pressure issues are more complicated than simply measuring your blood pressure in the doctor's office. <clears throat> in my practice, we have a 24-hour blood pressure monitoring system that will actually identify some of the hidden issues in the blood pressure diagnosis. What we're doing when we look at hypertension is we're actually trying to figure out what's going on inside the artery. By the time you see blood pressure elevated, there's a significant process already going on that is damage within the blood vessels. The first thing we look at is something called endothelial dysfunction. <clears throat> you can measure vascular elasticity um, and by various methods, and from those can look to see if there's early damage in the microvascular, um, the small blood vessels uh, that feed into our tissues. Again, I mentioned increased oxidative stress. So this would be um, things such as increased inflammation, uh, and increase, there are various markers that we look at to see if there's increased oxidative stress and increased inflammation in the blood vessels. Again, we look at the lipids to see if the lipids are elevated. Homocysteine, as I mentioned, is a factor that elevates it, and we measure homocysteine. Blood sugar, certainly the uh, dysregulation of your blood sugar increases your risk of hypertension, and we look at that. <clears throat> There's a phenomena called dippers versus non-dippers. So blood pressure normally dips about 10% during sleep, but it shouldn't fall much more than this. Excessive dipping, so that is that it's fallen more than 10%. Reverse dipping, where it doesn't dip at all or it actually goes up, and a lack of dipping are all problems associated with hypertension. 
and those are actually treated differently. So this is where the 24-hour blood pressure machine actually is very beneficial in looking at hypertension further and trying to figure out how to treat it. <clears throat> Many people have a morning surge in blood pressure. It typically increases in the morning um, as you get out of bed, and that's why the increased risk of stroke and heart attacks are in early morning. Again, you only want to look at a safe increase is only about 5%. If you have more than that, that's dangerous, and that can be picked up from the 24-hour blood pressure monitoring. There is a phenomena called white coat hypertension, and this is a tendency of blood pressure to rise when you go to the doctor's office. This can also be detected through the 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure monitoring. Masked hypertension, this is actually the opposite of white coat hypertension. This is a drop in a usually elevated, high blood, elevated blood pressure that occurs when a patient goes to a doctor's office. It can also be picked up with 24-hour blood pressure monitoring. I mentioned the pulse pressure, which is the difference between the systolic and the diastolic blood pressure. Again, the systolic is the pressure when the heart is contracting, and the diastolic is the pressure when the heart is at rest. Subtracting these, we get the pulse pressure. A small number shows that um, a small number is, shows disease as well as a large number. A small number suggests poor heart function, low cardiac output, heart failure, or it can mean fluid around the heart, such as a pericardial effusion. A large number, when the gap is widened, indicates the presence of very stiff arteries that have lost their elasticity. This is a sign of atherosclerosis. <clears throat> a safe result is usually 40 to 50 millimeters of mercury. Many, some people actually respond with hypertension to exercise. Normally, the blood pressure goes up with exercise, but a, an extreme response is, de again, detrimental. If it climbs too high and um, during uh, exercise, and we monitor this with a cardiac stress test, it shows that there is some disease within the blood vessels or the heart. There's a certain population that are actually salt sensitive. About 20% of Americans and actually about 75% of, I would say 20, 10 to 20% of American Caucasians and about 70, 75% of African Americans. And uh, looking at the salt sensitivity, you can actually, um, there's different therapies for that. You can also look at the coronary calcification. Uh, this shows it basically what it does is it measures the amount of calcium in the coronary arteries. And the more calcium that's there, the greater risk of suffering a heart attack. You can also look at the intimal thickness of the carotids. 
And if it's thickened, it's very predictive of cardiovascular disease. There's something called an echocardiography. It's what it is. It's an it's an ultrasound of the heart. It, you, be, you put jelly and put an ultrasound on the heart, and you can look at the various parts of the heart, the heart chamber. The left ventricle, which is the largest of the four heart chambers, chambers is responsible for pushing out the blood into the body. This is oxygenated blood. When that left ventricle enlarges or becomes what we call hypertrophic, it may show or represent that there's a diseased heart and it's an attempt to compensate for increased blood pressure or some other intrinsic weakness. Measuring your kidney function, and that would be the creatinine and the amount that your kidney filters each minute gives us also an idea of how everything from a circulation standpoint is working in your body. Also looking in your eyes. So um, when blood pressure goes up, it actually causes damage to your retina, the back part of your eye. Um, An ophthalmologist can look in your eye and see narrowing of the retina the and other changes in the retina would, that would s- signify hypertension. <clears throat> we also can measure, and I will spend another session on this, um, it's called telomeres. And looking at your telomeres can actually help measure your biological age. Longer telomeres show a reduced risk of heart disease, and short telomeres show vascular aging and an increased risk. There are a lot of genetic testing that we can do for high blood pressure. I mentioned some of the genetic testing for lipids. We can look at genetic testing for oxidative stress, inflammation, again, the methylation gene, the folic acid, and other various factors. What I try to emphasize in my practice is lifestyle modification. I always tell my patients I can prescribe you supplements or medications, but if you don't change your lifestyle, ultimately I'm putting a Band-Aid on everything. There are a lot of natural agents that can decrease your blood pressure. And I give my patients a list of those. There are actually an enormous amount of natural agents. But specifically things like cocoa, dark chocolate, uh, CoQ10, flavonoids, garlic, green tea, hawthorn, lutein, lycopene, melatonin, fish oil, potassium, magnesium, vitamin C, vitamin D, whey protein, celery, panathin, vitamin E, all are natural. And N-acetylcysteine is another agent that I like to see all decrease your blood pressure. I hope that I've given you a little bit of uh, information that will 
spur you on to ask your doctor some more questions and uh, look at coronary artery disease and hypertension further. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for joining us this week for Healthy Aging. Be sure to join your host, Dr. Denise Bogard, again next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. 